I am Mary Ellen Frost, co-chair of the Women's Concerns Committee, and I am delighted that uh, you chose this session uh, to come to. We have two presenters, and one of them has a guest to share experiences also. Uh, we're going to keep this on the casual side, so they're just going to sit. There's only two tables with people. They're just going to sit adjacent to you and uh, help me keep it casual. So when I goof up, it will just look like I'm being funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, today we have uh, Suzanne Ament from Southwest Virginia, who teaches at Radford University, teaches history. We have Susan Glass from California. So we have an East Coast girl and a West Coast girl. And she's a retired English professor who has many, many, many hobbies, hiking and birding. And uh, she's going to tell you a few more of the things about her. They're just going to sit and pass the mic back and forth. So I will let you ladies begin. Welcome, everybody. This is Suzanne from the East Coast. And I want to just introduce very briefly Megan Milan, who is a horse trainer, dressage rider. She's, a, she's working on her paracoach certification. She's with us today and is listening, and she can also answer any questions that people have from a coach's perspective or, a, or an instructor's perspective, too. And I'm really happy that she's here, and I got to visit her farm today and get to ride and everything. But you're here, and I wanted to acknowledge you, and I'm really happy you're here and um, really hope to keep working with you in the future. Um, Susan and I thought about this. We want to keep it fairly casual. We thought we'd give you an introduction about ourselves, how we got to be passionate about horses, and just sort of our, our short story, short brief story of our lives and how we got to where we are with horses today, and just a little bit about what we do, because we have different approaches and different styles that we do, and yet the the emotional and happy feeling we get from horses is very much the same. So um, I am, I just turned 59, so I started riding when I was eight years old, and I wanted to ride because my classmates in third grade were talking about horse camp, and they talked about doing all these neat things like swimming a horse in a pond, and I was like, I want to ride a horse. And my mother was one of those types of parents that didn't know anything about having blind kids. My sister was younger, but also blind. She went to the stable, which happened to be in Rock Creek Park, D.C., and said, is there anybody who will teach my little girl to ride a horse? And this woman named Jeannie, and I have no idea where she is now or what her last name was. I would love to thank her today, but um, she took me on. No therapeutic riding, no specialities, nothing like that. Um, the first horse I rode was a, a black horse named Muscle Man, and he was about 20-some-odd years old. And I still remember, I started in the winter, and it was chilly, and I remember the barn door rolling and how it felt warm in the stall and, and feeling this fuzzy horse, and he was just so fuzzy, and he smelled so good. <laughs> it was just a wonderful early, early experience. So what she did in the next five years I or so, I rode in Rock Creek Park once a week, and we had an arena. She started me on what's called a lunge line, which means that a person stands in the middle of a circle and the horse goes around and the rider is on the horse and the rider can have more or less control depending on the situation. Um, we then went to just private lessons by myself in an arena with nothing else in it. And then I went to group lessons and I had more vision than I do now. Um, and I started to learn to jump, little jumps. And then I moved to Colorado, and it turned out that there was no adaptive physical education program where I went. And they allowed my parents to pay for riding lessons, and I rode three times a week. And I started doing hunter-jumper courses and jumping and beginning dressage and the, whatever that was at that time. It was more of a hunter-jumper barn. And the woman that I rode with, she picked me up, or my parents would drop me off, and she would take me to school after my lesson. Um, is still a wonderful friend of mine and just a, a very inspirational person that would work with me and do all these things. Then I quit riding. I went to college. I had a bad experience with another instructor and another horse, and I just went off and did other things for a very long time. And when I got married back in 2011, my husband and I said, well, let's do something fun together. Let's try something. And, and he liked the idea of riding. 
So we ended up trying to find a person to give us lessons, and we did. And then, very soon after that, a woman said to me that I knew that worked at a tax store, she said, if you want a horse, I found you the perfect one. My horse is a paint mare named Zippy, and Zippy can ride English or Western, and we'll talk a little more about that later. Um, my husband rode her a little bit. I rode her. I ride her a lot. Um, and she has just been the joy of my life. I just go to her every day and say, I'm grateful for you. You just don't know how much. And if I had to choose between riding and taking care of Zippy, it would be a very hard call, and I really think I'd choose just grooming her and taking care of her. I would give up the riding if I had to, I mean, if that was the choice. So um, I'm going to pass this to Susan so she can give you her sort of background, and then we can get into riding styles and any other questions you guys have. Okay. That's a wonderful story. Um, <laughs> My my riding experience is, is similar in to Suzanne's in that it started when I was uh, I was nine years old instead of eight, and um, I grew up in, for the most part, um, Saratoga, Los Gatos, California, and we were fairly rural at the time. Not so much anymore. We're very much Silicon Valley, but we still ride out there. But um, when I was about nine, I made friends with a little girl who had uh, a donkey. And we went out, and we, she showed me how to groom Jenny the donkey and ride Jenny the donkey, and we would ride double on Jenny the donkey. And she was falling in love with horses, and I was falling in love with horses. Um, and once you are smitten, you do not recover, which thank goodness, that thank goodness. Jenny um, was very particular about what we could and couldn't do. And when she had enough, she would simply lie down and refuse to carry us any further. Um, and she would do mischievous things like uh, you'd be sitting on her and she'd walk under the hitching rack and you had to jump off because she just, that was just what she did. She'd turn around and chew on your feet. She was just funny, but, you know, good sense of humor. And, you know, what, what I've heard about horse and donkey lawyers that horse, you know, donkeys are smart that way and they're always giving you a little attitude, which was kind of fun. But Tina started riding with, at a local stable and um, I wanted to ride and I, I should say, I am the only blind person in my family. I was the youngest ch child, and I was born blind, and Tina was sighted. But um, my mother uh, took me out to meet Tina's riding instructor, and I will never forget this. You, you talk about your fuzzy horse and the warm, you know, the smell and everything. It was a June afternoon, and we drove out to this little ranch, a privately owned ranch called the Pipers, and got out of our car. And this very well-groomed, a uh, 62-year-old gentleman who I later learned was from Virginia and homes yeah, and had gone to school as an adult and you know built his life up and worked as he worked for American Can Company. But he had this beautiful Richmond drawl, and he walked around the corner of the barn and said, "May I help you, ladies?" And my mother explained the situation, and he's the writing teacher. And uh, he looked at my mother and he stood for a moment. And he said, "Mrs. Bailey, I have a house here." I have a horse your daughter will be safe as houses on, if you'll come with me. And we just, we went over and he introduced me to Bonnie, who was a bay mare, which means she was brown with a black mane and tail. She would get quite red in the summer. She was an Arabian thoroughbred cross, but she was a school horse, and it had a trick knee, so she wasn't jumped or anything. She was, work, you know, primarily with children. And she became my best friend for the next three and a half years. Um, this gentleman, whose name was Harvey Higgins and went by Mr. Higgins for all the kids, um, had two horses, um, his horse, Black Boy, and, and Bonnie, the, the little mare, and he took children to ride for whatever their parents could afford, which was maybe 15 or $20 a month. We'd ride once a week for an hour and a half, and the only reason he charged the money at all was to uh, help cover his costs because when you have a horse, you have to cover things like board and furrier fees, which is shoeing and vet bills and shots and feeding, and boy, can it add up. Um, but he didn't um, betray a lot of that to the children. He just had such a good time. And I didn't become more formal in my riding instruction until years later because uh, Mr. Higgins... Um, uh, well, first of all, we, we were riding Western, um, which is a, a, a different kind of saddle. It's a little more casual. I got into bareback and English later. But one of the things that he did right away was to um, teach me to post, which has to do with how you use your legs during a trot so that you don't bounce. 
But he also, without any experience with a blind child at all, figured out that the horse and I could learn to pace the arena, and that if he stood on one side and called to us and called right, left, right, left, we could get around that arena. And then he took us out on, on trail rides, and then I'd go out sometimes with some of the other kids. I learned to ride horses before I learned to use a white cane because that was the way things were done back then. We didn't get our canes till we were 12. I cannot tell you the freedom of a summer afternoon riding in the foothills in my, in, near my home where the grasses dry and turn very brown and smell musky like hay. There's also this weed called glue weed that has a really pungent, sticky scent. And then the eucalyptus trees, that all the smells are very brown. And I cannot tell you how joyful it was to go cantering through those fields and go through these air thermals, which would be warm and then cool and then warm and then cool, depending upon whether you were entering the trees or the stream or whatever. Mr. Higgins was a very good describer. He would describe everything that we passed. He was a golfer, and he used to take us on this one woodland trail along the golf course and jump down to look for golf balls. It was really funny, all the stray ones that got bad out. And his wife loved all the kids like her own, so she would send along treats for the kids and treats for the horses. We took the horses in the creek. We had water fights and splashed each other. He taught us to saddle, to bridle, to groom, um, to feed. Uh, and uh, anything that the other kids did, he, he taught me. The, the seriousness of it didn't kick in late till much later for me. This was a very special playtime. It was in athletics where I felt free. I was out in the world under the sky and the sun and the trees that I love so much. I was an amateur birder, and it was out on those hills that I learned to find my towhees and my western meadowlarks. Um, and my flickers and everybody that I loved and all those interests got started that way And I can't help but think that mama horse did as much of that um, But my early experiences were shaped by this very kind man He loved to tell tall tales. He told us that he could jump from his patio into his swimming pool And when we got to his home, we realized this was not true, but you know, he just he just was a wonderful man um, He passed away when I was almost 14 it was my first real death, real loss. He was a grandpa to me. Um, and uh, his wife had to sell his horses. And uh, shortly there, and she offered to sell them to us, and one of them. And my father would not do that. I remember at 13 climbing into my father's lap and begging him. And he said, I love you, but it's because of your safety that I cannot do this for you at this time. We will find you another writing teacher. And he, that was a good explanation, and I ended up writing then with a woman who taught me to write English, and that became more formal instruction for me. We had a lot of fun. She was a college student at a nearby uh, university, and uh, we rode together for two and a half years. And then high school kind of took over in college, like Suzanne, way led to way, and I did not um, take up my writing again in, in earnest until about two years ago, and that's when my real writing education in terms of the athletics of it, the horsemanship or horsewomanship of it, really, really began. And this is a good point to pass the, the mic back to, to Suzanne. But I will just say it made me very happy. So I guess there's something that I was thinking about my story and Susan's, another thing that, that jumped, jumped out at me is that one of the things you get from riding is people, really wonderful people. And um, that's what I've found really in all of my horse experiences that um, it, it's, you meet people that have a love of the same thing and they're willing to share it even if you're not the same as they are. And um, so, that, so that is one, I'm trying to think of things to of why did you guys come and hear this? What do you get out of riding? Um, if you if you're a, if you're a person that doesn't like the smell of the barn and you don't like dirt and you don't like sweaty horses and you don't like to <laughs> haul tack around and scrub tack clean and you won't like horses very much. But <laughs> if you do like that stuff, you're already on the track to doing it. You're already there. Um, so and I guess I wrote an article for the blind teacher last year where I sort of try to describe a couple of the things that if you were interested in horses and you never done it, what would you do, right? So um, there are a couple of ways to go in this day and age. One of them is to go through a th what's called a therapeutic riding program 
And there's an organization called PATH, and I don't remember the exact letters, but PATH spells out, but it's therapeutic riding. And um, those people have a lot of training to work with people of all disabilities. They're actually not so versed in riding with blind riders, and that's what our workshop was this last Friday, as much to show blind people an experience of horses was to show this, this path barn and their volunteers and their instructors what blind riders can do independently. And one of the ways that that is done is through something called Living Letters. And Living Letters is set up because a dressage arena or an arena, and you could do this in any arena for any reason, you make a point on the fence that happened to be a letter, and then at one of the short ends it's C, and one of the short ends it's A, and then you have a bunch of letters on the long sides of the arena. So for a sighted rider, they see the letter and they say, well, halt at A, or turn right at E, you know? So um, a blind rider doesn't know that, and they don't even know for sure always where the fence is, and some of these fences are very low, they're not very high. So you put a person at that letter calling the letter, E, 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 when you get to it. And then the rider goes past and they're listening for K, 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 and they go around the corner and you get to A, 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 right? And so then you can start to do things and I wanna ask the person sitting to my left, Tabitha Brecky, who's also in the um, blind teachers group with us. Um, she was the only other rider on Friday and she actually got on a horse, not for the very first time, but she hadn't been on a horse in a long time and she hadn't had any real formal instruction. She got a sort of quick lesson and then she was in charge of the horse and she got to listen to the living letter. So I'm gonna want her to say just a couple of words about what that felt like to her. Okay, Tabitha? Hi there. Um, it was, like Suzanne said, I'd ridden a little bit like at camp as a kid, you know, for a little while each day and then, an aunt and uncle of mine had a horse farm, and occasionally I'd get to pet horses, but I didn't get there very often. And then as an adult, I went on one or two trail rides where everybody kind of follows. And so, but it had been, oh Lord, 10, 10, 13 years, I don't know, 13 years or so. And so when I first got up on the horse, because I had you go up a ramp to get on the horse, and I had always been used to, quote, a Western saddle, which has a, a pommel that you can hang on to. Well, the English saddles that you use with dressage and other disciplines don't. And so it was an interesting experience orienting and paying total attention to my core muscles. And um, I'm, I'm, it was just, I don't know how to explain that. As I got more and more comfortable, I was able to relax more, but at the same time be more engaged muscularly. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, the other thing I would say though is if you don't know if you like dirt and tack and horses is, to try it, I know even when I got my first dog, and I don't know if these ladies, because they were also dog users, can say that, that you kind of, the little unpleasantnesses, um, like for example, picking up after a dog, are so well worth any trade-off that the horse, it was just so fabulous, and I really want to try it again. And Suzanne was a great letter, she was one of the living letters for me as I rode. And I was wondering, as I went around the, the, the arena, how much am I controlling the horse or and how much is the leader? Because it was perfectly safe. They had a woman walking to my right and gradually I almost didn't know she was there because she moved a little further away. And then a woman who had a rope or I, I guess it was a rope leading the horse at first and gradually, you know, and then the instructor had her not do as much. And so it, as it turned out, I really was in control. And that's a weird feeling because I don't know how much would you guess like she weighed? She was she like 16 and a half hands or so? What would she probably weigh? Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, I don't know. She was a big girl. And um, so it's an odd feeling having that kind of like how, anyway, I can't really describe that, but I'll pass it back to these ladies. So it was great. Okay, so um, just a little bit more about the paradressage. Um, Para is about Paralympics, it's, it's people with disabilities, and it's only physical, it's not mental, so it's different than the Special Olympics and that sort of thing. Um, the paradressage riding is divided into five categories and they determine it by classification, and blind riders fit into the 
not the, the fourth highest level and the top level, which are fairly difficult riding challenges. And I am not at the point where I can actually ride the test that a blind rider would, would compete with in para. So I start at you know, the lower levels and do what I can and work up. Um, one interesting point that Megan reminded me of is that previously in competition, blind riders, no matter what their diagnosis was or what their percentage of blindness was, all had to wear blindfolds. And I know that there were other sports. My sister is blind and is a, has been a, a triathlon, triathlete and a, a marathon runner that in some of those competitions, they also required this. And I think the USABA has taken that away. And the, the Federación Internacional, Equestrian Internacional, the FEI, has also taken that away now for um, competitions. So blind riders ride normally with whatever vision they do or do not have um, and compete in, at their certain levels. So that was kind of an interesting fact that's changed. And I think for the better um, to not disadvantage people and one of the other challenges that blind riders have in this para stuff is that you need living letters, and the living letters are people, and you have to have a lot of people to stand around the arena and be letters. And so the international coaches are saying, well, you should learn to ride without so many letters. So put one at A and one in at C. And, and so I was at a clinic with this wonderful kind of quiet man. He's sort of, he's fairly hard to read. His name is Michel Asseline, and he's a kind of the para coach of the U.S. right now. Um, and he was saying, uh, yes, you should try with only two letters. Uh, in Europe, this is what they do. And I'm kind of like, only two, X and something else, C, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was really thinking of getting kind of rude, but I decided it was not a good idea. Horse clinics are pretty funny and kind of, you have to be polite and there's sort of <laughs> etiquette about them. I wouldn't have been, so. Um, <laughs> but I did write a very long letter to the, to the lady that runs this barn and said, please share this because you have a very nice way of sharing ideas that you know, I might not have. Um, that, that this guy is a competitor. He's been international dressage champion. He's not disabled. And I'm like, but doesn't he understand that if you're competing that you don't want to be further disadvantaged? <laughs> and, and I did make the point that perhaps they could take all but two letters off the arena for the other riders and then it would be fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know where I'm going to get in the para world with all of my commentary, but... <laughs> I was going to pass this to Susan if she had anything else to say, and then also to open to questions. If you guys have things you want to know about, we're happy to share our knowledge or to ask Megan about, too. I'll just say a little bit more about So I now ride at a community stable. My teacher's name is Katie, and she's 35 years old, and she is terrific. Um, and this is not a therapeutic riding center. It's a, it's a regular um, you know, riding community stable, and I go up once a week. And we do not have the personnel for living letters, and Katie has never before had a blind student. But she is the go-to person at that stable. She works with autistic children, she works with people with paraplegia, and she works with me. And um, when, and, and through no training except that she has really fine instincts. And uh, when, when we started working together, we immediately, we started talking about the partnership between horse and rider. And um, you know, one of the one of the first things she did when I got on is, is ask permission. She said, "I'd like to show you different ways of sitting." And she showed me how I was sitting in the saddle and where my hips and my arms were, and and we established, you know, what a 45 degree turn to the right would feel like with the body versus a 15 degree versus a 30 degree, which is something I knew anyway from from proprioception and cane travel. But she was talking about how when, when we turn with our horse, we turn our eyes and face in the direction where, that we wish to go. We slightly incline on that particular hip that we want to turn to, the right hip, and then we might take the left leg and just squeeze a little bit. And so she would talk a lot to me about feeling my horse and feeling myself, and she would give feedback 
from the fence about what she was seeing us do. And once in a while would have me stop and she would, she would show me you know, how to um, make something work a little bit more, more smoothly. And um, so that was, that was really important, um, just that learning. And then we, we learned, you know, of, of course, learning your transitions from walk to trot to canter are very important. We talked a lot about asking the horse um, using voice and uh, and leg movements first. Some horses want really steady hands. Some don't want any. Some need more pressure. Um, there was a lot of focus on asking and telling way before commanding, uh, and um, just really really neat stuff like that. And one of the, one of my favorite lessons was a lesson on the working walk. Um, and a working walk is where you help your horse stretch out and stretch her or his body out and and get comfortable in their leads, but while they're doing that, you're also stretching your body out. And she knows I take yoga, so she would talk to me a lot about the relationship between the yoga and the horse. And um, we've had a lot of fun. We've done our arena work that way. We're not doing paradisage or anything like that, um, but we've gone on trail rides together, she riding ahead and just calling out instructions. And last fall, we had, um, it wasn't really a horse show, it was called a play day, a play day and it was where um, all, a number of riders came and they did particular events, you know, um, doing a keyhole, you know, versus riding between poles, different, different events like that. And Katie trained me for a couple of those, um, doing walk, trot, and canter. And she took pipe cleaners and papers and drew the diagrams of what I would be riding before I actually did it. And then we did it together and the day of the actual writing course, the show, she was on the side calling out the instructions. And the only, we, we let the audience know what we were doing. I was the only blind writer. And we said, this is how we're going to be doing this. And I wrote a thank you note that I had them read, you know, to, for Katie because of everything she had done. I thanked her for being an outstanding instructor. And, and in my note, I said, the only request is we need the audience to be a little extra quiet so I can ca hear Katie as, she call, as she's calling out where my horse and I need to move. And it worked, it worked pretty well. On the last round, we got a little goofy <laughs> and wrote out of bounds. But, you know, it, was, it, it worked out, you know, really well. Um, but uh, I'm, 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 so I'm kind of in a, in a, in a different journey than Suzanne is with it right now. I'm still riding Western. I will be moving on to English. I will not be jumping because I have osteoporosis rather severely and I don't need to fall at 63 years old. So I won't be doing that, but there's plenty else I can do. When you ride a horse, if you're doing this kind of work, you're, you're working 419 parts of your body if you're really thinking about it and doing it all. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, just working with the horse. Even something as simple as getting on at a mounting um, a block so that you're not yanking on the saddle and pulling on your horse's spine. It's all about being considerate of each other. And I'm just in love with the partnership. Okay, enough of me. Here you go. We can take questions or you can go on. I just wanted to say one other thing about working with horses on the ground and being blind. And that can be somewhat tricky. Um, but two, two points uh, of fact that I think make a difference. One, that you get oriented to the barn and you insist on that wherever you are. And two, is that the barn has to be pretty well organized and that they have to keep things neat and clean. And I was at a barn once where I did take a few lessons for about uh, half a year uh, when I was in graduate school in Indiana. And the woman that managed the barn was absolutely a virago, if you know that word. She, uh, biatch, she would yell at anybody and everybody that left anything in the aisle if the horse's blanket was not on the right bar, if the boots weren't put up right, if the tack wasn't in the proper place, you got it. I mean, you were told how, you know, how it was. And I said, this is wonderful because I could go to the tack room and find Devin's bridle and I could get his tack box and I could go to his stall and I could get him out and put him on a cross tie. I could do everything independently. So, um, and some of the other barns I've been at, little less, little more chaotic, a lot of kid riders, a lot of stuff left around, and, and, um, and I've got a situation right now where we have two new people at the barn I am and trying to teach them that they need to say, there's a wheelbarrow in the aisle, and I need to yell, are there any wheelbarrows in the aisle, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, um, but it, again, communication, I and mean, that's with people and horses, and there's such a human 
communication. Anybody who loves the horses is there to love the horses, and they get along with the humans pretty well. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's a fair. I can come home from school, and everything could have gone wrong. I go to the barn. I groom Zippy, whether I ride or not. And when I go home, it's like oh, it was a different day. It was a different day. It's like it's all gone. It's all perfect. Um, you know, people who have the business end of it, Megan, maybe a little more stressed by the horse world a little bit, but. Um, but even so, I think you find a lot of joy in working with people and, and, uh, and the animals and seeing that, that relationship. So, um, so questions, anybody? And maybe instead, Leslie Spoon is here, and she was, she was with us on Friday as well. I just well. want to say what an amazing experience it was for me. Thank you for including me. Um, it, it's just, it was so amazing to see you and Tabitha up on the horses, and to get to groom the horse and, and just have that experience. I was a little um, apprehensive about going in the beginning, um, but it was a wonderful experience. I came home and told Dan, or I came back here, told Dan, you know, how exciting it was for me and what, what you know, great friendships I met with you guys. I really didn't get to know you, Suzanne, or Tabitha much, but I knew Susan. So just meeting that with you guys and having that experience was wonderful. Grooming the horse for me was great. I didn't ride, but, but seeing you, Suzanne, was amazing, and the letters <laughs> and everything, I was in awe of you. So oh, well. Thank you for including All me. of us could do it if we choose, so, yeah. I do have one for Megan, actually. If we were going to work with a coach, what kinds of things would a riding coach or thoughts that you had that do any of us as a blind person need to be able to address? Can you take the mic to her? Can you take the mic? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think Megan, let's get the mic. Yeah, okay. Great. Uh, do, you, do you want to repeat the question? Oh, sure, I can. Um, I was just, this is Tabitha. I just wanted to ask Megan, what types of questions should a blind person be able to answer for a coach if they go to ask for writing lessons? And kind of what were her perceptions when she started working with blind people or people with disabilities? Hey guys, so Suzanne rode my horse this morning, by the way, because we're just old friends. We had a good time. But Suzanne, I got a video of my little boys being your living letters today, and it's on my phone, so if you guys want to hear that before you leave, it's really cool. Um, PATH, this is going to answer your question, Tabitha, a little bit, is Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship. They don't say riding in there anymore, and the reason is you can have a lot of different goals when you go to PATH. So if you are a blind rider, you might want recreational riding, poking around and having fun and, and being with the horse. You might want therapeutic riding, which is to address your diagnosis. That might be hippotherapy, which is actually not learning riding skills. It's sitting on the horse while an actual licensed physical therapist works with your body. So some people go ride for that reason, totally different. And then competitive riding, right? So. There are places all over that offer some of those things. Suzanne and I both have a favorite place to go train in Maine where they offer all of those things. So they say, the first thing we want to know is what, what would you like to do? Would you like to compete one day? Would you like to have a stronger body with a real physical therapist? Would you like to bring your child who's really struggling in school with speech therapy and have a speech therapist walk beside them and read them a book when they're on the horse? Like, there are so many awesome things you can do there, you know? So it really depends on what you want. So that might be the first question. If, I don't know, I see students at my barn, we have loads of students that have social and emotional and mental disabilities that come. Some of those parents of those kids, they're adults too, but mostly kids, say, put them in a class with other kids, they need to learn how to socialize. They need manners. They need to call you Miss Megan, and they need to run when you tell them to do something. Like, sometimes <laughs> that's why people come, you know? So it's about your goals. Um, the other thing to address that the two ladies are speaking here, you haven't addressed this directly yet, Suzanne and Susan, because you are so comfortable around horses, and you've done this your whole life, is that there is some risk involved. So just like any other sport, if you intend to become more advanced in that sport, you have to choose to take more risk, right? So if you start on a horse and you've never ridden before, you might have, just like Susan said, a leader 
with a lead rope on the horse's halter and you might have two sidewalkers, so one person on either side of you, it feels really safe. But the horse is not a robot, right? So you have to know that it's not the same as sitting, um, I don't know, in a wagon being pulled along. And I think this addresses our need to fight some of the fears we have in our life, like wherever it is, you know? So yes, I think at a barn like mine, we choose horses that we feel are really good for that job. It's sometimes it's about personalities. But even the horse Suzanne rode, I put her on my horse today because she's never been to my barn, and he had a few spooky looks at things while she was on him, even him. Like the dog came jumping out of the bushes when we went up the road on our trail ride. So I think that that's an important part of walking into the barn. Like what do you actually want to do there? Do you want to touch a furry animal because you need a companion in your life? We can do that. Do you want to be an athlete? We can do that. Do you want to get stronger on both sides of your body because there's an unevenness? Yeah, we can do that. Um, I have a simulator. This is not an ad in any way. But for people who are absolutely fearful and who had an accident, they can get on a fake horse at our barn, and then they don't have any fear of falling off, you know? So even those issues are like really cool puzzles, and we can, as coaches, we can uh, tackle them with some good ideas, like how to solve those problems, you know? Um, but there is risk. Like, that's something to ask more about as you decide what your path is, you know? All right, I'm sorry, I know I'm talking too much. This lovely lady next to me, what's your name again? Danielle. Danielle has a question, and I know she wanted to ask. Thank you. I have two. I only have to say one word with the first, insurance. I don't know how the status is now, but I know there was a time where whenever you were a blind person who wanted to ride a horse, the barn, the the places said no because of insurance and even places that once welcomed blind riders no longer did. Um, so how is that addressed? There's path and everything, but I don't know if everyone would have the same access to people like Megan who's open and experienced or Katie or, or path. And then my second question is just, I, I, I'm like uh, um, Tabitha, I've been around horses. I've had opportunities in period to be around horses, but never really had experience with riding or handling them. Um, how is it, how is like you went riding in the hills? How did you do your O&M from so high up <laughs> on legs that don't, don't always go where you want them to go? <laughs> okay. uh, your question here in just a moment. Um, let's take the second one first about sort of how do you how do you do O and M on horses, right? Um, and I know that Susan was talking about riding through the hills when she was a kid. I'm sure that was sort of kid bravery too, because um, <laughs> kids are much braver than adults generally, right? And often you can have a horse in front of you somebody calling to you, you could also have a horse riding beside you, which I actually like if you're in a big field, for example, to kind of have a triangle. You have somebody in front that you can hear, but somebody beside you that will cue you in if you need to do something or turn further a certain way. But you are directing, but you are directing the horse. Now, there is something that can be done where you can, what's called ponying a horse, and that I did when I was little in Rock Creek Park. They would put a lunge line on the horse. The woman would ride in front sort of to the side, and then hold a line that was that was on my horse's halter, and then I would ride next to him. That's not highly recommended because that things can go wrong with it, but it can be done. Um, and anything on that question? Oh, yeah. Okay, here you Just go. It, what what made that mobility issue work for me is that the the gentleman who was riding with me knew his right from his left, and he was very clear about that. And he did ride right beside me or right in front of me, and he did say, duck, tree coming. I mean, it helps if you have a really sensible human being with you. And that, that took away a lot of the mobility fears, but, but it, it also gave me so much confidence about balance and, and spatial awareness that when I did pick up a cane, things made sense in a way that I'm not sure they would have. And there was just such a sense of freedom. Um, and yes, there was a certain amount of kid fearlessness going on, but it was backed by a very caring and a very safe adult, you know, who, and, and he would talk to me. He would say, now, when you continue this, make sure you find riding partners, and these are the questions you should ask them to make sure they're safe with you. And, you know, he, he sort of was thinking ahead even before I was, so that's really important. Um, all I can say about insurance is the stable where I ride 
just has me sign what they have every other writer at the stable sign. Every year you have to sign a form that says that if something happens, you will not sue them. And I just sign it, you know, because I know what my risks are and I'm, I'm careful. I have had issues where people have said I couldn't ride there, and some of those were on cruise ships, you know, going on trying to trail ride and things like that, and a lot of those you just have nothing you can do. You just have to give up. Uh, I did go to Puerto Rico on a cruise, and we went with the cruise director, and I said, we're not going to tell him I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> and then they told us that this was not just a nose-to-trail trail ride, nose-to-tail trail ride, and I thought, oh, God, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> I have to tell him. So I, we, I thought I might be sitting on the bus the whole afternoon. But he said, oh, that's okay. I'll just ride beside you. <laughs> so, so some people react very well and others do not, and I think um, probably legally now it's not legal to, to, to use that excuse, but it doesn't mean people won't do it. Okay. Okay, let me give it to you. So from a business perspective, I do have to have special insurance, and I do every year have to mark every possible person's diagnosis that could walk into my bar and that I'm willing to teach. And I do pay more than the average Joe. And I have to kind of write all my capabilities. And we have to show the barn, we have to show the insurance company pictures of safe fencing of our arena, where our first aid kit is, where all our fire extinguishers is, everything. They have to see our entire place before they will let us teach. So in New York State, here's what I really need you to know is every state is different. If you sign my liability form in my barn and in New York State and you fall off, you can still sue me. There's nothing I can make you sign that will not keep me safe from losing money in our state. It's not true everywhere, though, you know? So it is a big deal, you know, because I don't want to lose my business because some mom comes up after the ride and says, well, her shoe was untied and you didn't tie it. Your fault. We're suing you. So it's a horrible thing, but we have to think about it because I don't want to lose my business, you know? Can you refuse somebody? Yes. Okay. Say there has to be a reason, like Suzanne's saying. Is it because they are sight impaired? I don't know if I would, could, or would say no about that one. You know, generally I could say we don't have the facil facility to accommodate you for X reason. I don't know that the eyesight one is a fine line. I think. Why would I turn them down? You know. Megan, I know in Michigan we have the um, Equine Professional Liability Act. Um, is that the same? Do you guys have something similar? We have the only thing we have that okay. Has okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if it was fully, you know. Yeah, I just I do the same thing as, as Suzanne said. She's like, I sign it and I know the risk and it's suck it up and mom or dad, please don't see these people <laughs> or family. So, okay. Thank you. Um, I love all animals and I grew up on a farm and I, and I have been around horses, but I've never had an opportunity to do this kind of riding. So considering I'm a newbie at all this and I'm coming because I'm very, very curious in a good way about all of this, could you describe what the letters do, how this all works, and are you ever to a stage in your life when you can just go ride? You know, just you and the animal like we do with guide dogs? Maybe. See what the ladies have to say. Um, I have gotten on my horse in an arena by myself. Um, my husband's put up a radio at one end, and I've ridden by myself. Um, my horse is not going to jump the jumps in the middle. She doesn't like jumping. She's not going to do it. Um, and I felt pretty safe. Okay. Um, trail riding, I would say, would be very difficult. But you, you, you guys that are really good at things with Ira and we're talking about Soundscape and some other um, apps and things like that may make more of that 
doable at some point. Um, the, the question I have would really be that horses are not predictable. And if something went wrong, you might be really in trouble. Um, I wouldn't say it couldn't be done. I mean, there's just nothing I would say with horses that can't be done, but um, because they are such incredible, willing animals. And if you had the right one, and you had the right match, and you had the right situation, you could probably do whatever you wanted to do. Um, I don't jump anymore. Uh, I would love to. I thought it was fun when I did it. I was not a bright or really aggressive rider, but I'm too old to fall off, and so <laughs> I'm not going to do it. And it's hard on horses, and my horse is older, and she doesn't need that. So, again, thinking about the horse first, not me. I, I've been walking my horse on hills to get her back muscles stronger, doing nothing else for the last few weeks. No trotting, no cantering, no whatevering, right? So, and some days I won't work her because she needs a break. Right? So you think about the horse first, and that's part of the partnership. That is really part of the partnership. And... Um, Okay, um, for paradressage, what, and, and I, I'm going to only talk about that because I don't know any blind riders that compete in jumping or anything else anymore. Um, I mean, I did do schooling shows when I was a kid, and I did courses, and I learned them, and I had more sight than I do now, I can tell you that, too. Um, so again, level of vision may make a difference on what you're willing, what risk you're willing to take, I don't know, okay? Um, but what happens in a dressage arena, it's a 20 by 60 arena usually, um, and what you have is a certain number of letters around the outside, and you put a person at each letter, and they will call their letter out to the rider as they go toward the letter. As they go past it, they will stop, and the next letter will be calling. And there's certain, and we can get more, more detailed about that. And is, the pur is there a purpose for the letters every For everybody, anybody riding dressage, the pattern will say, enter the arena at A, halt at X, which is your middle of your arena. Proceed at working trot to C, track right, which means you turn right. Canter at M, halt at K. Right? Matter, right, right, so it's precision. Like, like can you control that horse? Yes. Yeah, generally what has happened, you just have a printed board with a letter on it. That if you're a sighted rider, you just see the cone that has the printed letter on it at the arena's edge, right? And so the blind person has to know where that is. And um, when this coach has been telling me that, well, you can only need two letters, you should learn, you should learn to measure and count strides and everything else, I mean, that's, that's fine. It's really good to know what a 20-meter circle on your horse feels like. That's excellent. But what if you got off by a meter? You're going to be off by five meters by the time you get to the other end of the arena. So the, the letters, exactly, and they can realize I'm not steering towards M. I need to steer towards M. So if I don't hear M, I can't steer towards M. So if I get off, I am screwed for another word. <laughs> Yes. So I am a sighted rider, but I was wondering, do you use any special like bridles or bits on your horse so it's like easier to control? No, <laughs> is the short answer. You, f you figure out what the horse needs for the horse. So whatever horse it would be, and a blind rider would use the same thing. Um, now, there we have done things with the lead lines attached until you get used to a horse. I did that at Carlisle up in Maine when I first started. They had a, a lead attached with a walker. As soon as they felt like I knew what I was doing and they felt comf confident that I could ride the horse, they let me off of it. Um, but the, the tack for blind riders generally, especially in competition, generally is just regular dressage rules for tack. Okay. Um, is it just a matter of preference, or would you recommend a type, for example, I'm a saddle seat rider, so we just ride on the flat in a circle, essentially, unless you're doing a pattern at the end or something. Um, 
Would, is there a certain preferred style of riding for, I'm sighted as well, but um, for blind riders? Or is like dressage a preferred style for blind riders or just what, what you guys have, have gotten into? Uh, my answer to that is it's just what I've, what I've gotten into. Um, I, I started, well, I started bar, bear on that, bareback on that little wild donkey I told you about, <laughs> and then did quite a bit of bareback pad riding with various horses, and then the western riding. Then when I got turned on to my teacher, Deb Beers, she started me in something called a plantation saddle, which was a deeper seat, and then got me into an English saddle and started helping me work on the lunge line and lie down on my back on the horse and do some really cool stuff like that. Um, it's what you want to do, and there are, there are probably, you know, advantages and disadvantages each way. I mean, one of the really nice things about English tack is that there's less stuff between you and the horse, so you can really feel each other, and that's a really, really nice thing. Um, but I, I think just as, um, you know, what bit you would use would depend a lot on your horse and needs, because we're always thinking of the horse, just like we're always thinking of our guide dogs, those of us who have dogs, is a partnership. So you're going to find what is comfortable for for you and and your horse, and it also may be who's available in your area to teach you what. Could you tell them the point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, when my husband and I, and I told you this back in 2011, 2012, we thought, let's do something fun together. And we found a couple of different, tried a different couple of different people, and there was a dressage, Brit, a German dressage lady, and, and we each had a lesson on her horse on the lunge line. She had draw reins on, side reins on, not draw reins. But uh, it was a very, very dressage very, very, very formal. And my husband's like, this horse is way too tall, and that saddle is a postage stamp. I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> So he has a quarter horse, a 14-2 hand quarter horse with a very, very stocky, and he has a western saddle, and it's suede, so you can't come out of it pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so he, he chose that, and that's perfectly fine. And actually, um, the woman that I'm working with where my horse is, I have a couple of trainers, actually. The woman where my horse is, her whole idea is to try a lot of new things and to switch things up with you and the horse both that it's really healthy, it keeps their brain going, keeps your brain going. Um, so she will put the western saddle on, she'll put a cutback saddle on, we'll ride with a dressage saddle, we'll drive w ride with an all-purpose kind of hunter-style saddle. And then we'll try different bits and figure out which ones work best. And if I go to a show, I have to use certain things. But at home, we I even went bridleless one day, went bareback another day, you know, sort of changing it up. So, so there's a lot of things to do. Suzanne and I met because of paradressage, and I think the reason, one reason it's come up connected to blind riders is it's paradressage and paradriving, like carriage driving, are the only sanctioned, currently competitive international sports for physically disabled riders. So if you have, if you can be classified within their system as having certain disabilities, so there's a huge amount of like range of classification you could compete in Europe in either of those sports. But that's it, like they don't do show jumping yet and they don't do other equestrian sports. Isn't that right, Suzanne? I think that's right. It's only driving and dressage. So neither of us are driving, <laughs> so <laughs> doing dressage, right. But within the para range, that's it so far, driving and dressage. There is Western. Is there raining? There's Western Right, but it's still classified as dressage, I think, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm a, a GDMI apprentice, and I have a question about, so I'm also a horse professional, but I wanted to know, um, for those of you that have guide dogs, what skills from your horse background did you find helpful or not helpful when you got your dog, or what have you taken from both, um, both sides of the spectrum? Um, and then also, also what parts of riding and being around horses have you found helpful in your life um, as, a, as a blind person? What has, how has that helped you or, or not helped you in certain ways? Sure. Um, I really love this question because it's, um, it's one I think about a lot but don't always verbalize. Um, I, I remember that when I 
got my first guide dog, Kelsey, in 1989, and I felt that harness handle in the left hand and my leash in the right. I thought, this is comfortable. This is just like tack. You know, I was just so relaxed. It felt so good, and it smelled right. And then I used to play with my leash, and I'd put it in different positions. This is a neck grain position. You know, this, I'm just goofing around. But, but I think that the, the good core muscle use and posture use of horseback riding transfers very nicely into guide walking. And it needs to because we have a tendency with that left arm out on the harness to be pulling the body a little bit in a funny direction. And so remembering, you know, to keep the tummy in and keep those core muscles, you know, has, has really, really been valuable. Um, although I don't think that we talk to horses and dogs identically, and they're certainly not the same kind of animals because, well, for one thing, horses are prey animals and dogs are predators. Um, that doesn't really figure into the guide work. I use the same gentleness, you know, of ask, tell, command, voice, hand, gesture, um, you know, corrective with horses that I do with dogs, and it just, it was a real natural uh, carry, you know, carryover for me um, to, uh, to, to do that, but funny things happen. I mean, sometimes I'll be saying to my horse, hop up, no, wrong command, you know, <laughs> you know. or I'm talking to the dog, no, yep. no, nope, nope, wrong, <laughs> you know. It's, it's that kind of stuff that happens. Um, the addressing the, the part about uh, life skills, horses what are what really have helped me see myself as an athlete. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a smaller woman, I think, you know, more on the petite side, and um, have had pretty academic life, but I've always loved being outdoors and, and walking. And the horses have made me feel confident, um, you know, in space and, and in motion. Um, it's, it's, I sometimes feel safer on than on the ground, because I don't always know what the horse's ground manners are. But, you know, by and large, I would say that, uh, and, and, and certainly my mobility improves when, my, when I ride, and my riding improves the more mobile I am, and I think there's a, a direct correlation. I think that as a, as a woman, um, I have felt um, a lot safer. Um, I, I won't go into details, but I've had some frightening experiences, and although the horses didn't protect me from that, they made me realize who I was and where my power was. I'm not talking about experiences with horses that were frightening. I'm talking about people experiences, and I think that that connection, um, that quiet, you know, place of power that you get, because yes, horses are powerful, um, and you do control them, but you control with them, you don't dominate them, at least not in the world I come, you know, I live, and, and so I learned a lot about my own space, and when I'm afraid, when I'm afraid, even now, I try to call on that inner horse place that says, you're okay, you're not gonna be, you, you've got some power in this, you've got some leg, you've got some core, you're not gonna, you know, this isn't gonna get you. Um, and that's been, that's been a really powerful, you know, experience for me. Um, can I just, one more thing, and then I'll stop. <laughs> when we were at the stable Friday, there was a miniature horse whose name was Buddy, and he had a miniature horse companion who had recently died. And he came over to the fence, and he was, and we, the lady I was with started talking to him, hey, buddy, and I got over and went to him, too. And I put my arms to that fence, and he was snuggling on me. My mom just died. I lost my mom on May 6th. There were no tears on my part, but I will tell you that that 15 minutes we spent together, I swear there was something going on. Like, both of us got grief, but we also got life. And that may be sentimental. It may be an imagined thing, but sometimes your imagination is what you need. And it was, it was a good experience. Your turn. Wow, okay. I second everything Susan said. I, wouldn't, I didn't, wouldn't have worded it as well, I don't think. So um, yes, all of that works. The other thing with the, I could say that might be a little bit different with the dogs and the horses is that a dog is much smaller, easier to control. I feel a little bit more in control on the ground with Eula than I do with Zippy. Uh, but I have to be very mind. I have to be more mindful with Zippy about things and manners on the ground than I do with Yule, and that probably does play over to keeping track of Yule too. Um, I did take um, kind of a crossover from clicker training, which I used some with my other dog, a little bit with Yule, but 
because I thought when I have this horse and she's in her stall and I want to know where she is, um, I taught my horse, not with a clicker, but with the same concept, to touch my hand, my fist. I'd put my fist out and I'd say, touch. She will come and put the side of her nose, like right above the nostril, kind of below the nostril, kind of below the cheek, on my hand, and she gets a treat. Okay, Zippy loves treats, Eula loves treats, everybody loves treats, it's not a problem, right? Um, so if I do that, then she gets a treat. Okay, so I can reward her for that, I can find her that way, I have calmed her down that way. Uh, when I notice she's nervous in the indoor arena or something, I'm leading her and I'll say, touch, and then I'll give her a treat. You know, and she will pay attention to me, not what she was paying attention to that made her nervous, right? So it doesn't work all the time because she can get she could get really spooky about something. Um, but the funny thing that happened was that as I'm working with her, at one point I noticed she started using her lip. And I was like, what is this horse doing? She's not a biter. She doesn't bite. But she's using this lip pretty forcefully. And she's like hitting me with it and grabbing me with her lip. And I realized what she was doing was pushing my hand to the point where she was supposed to be touched and touch my hand so that I would give her the treat. <laughs> so, so she's got me trained, <laughs> just like Eula. So. Yep. so you talk about ground manners with the horses, and how would you suggest that a blind rider learn um, some tips about working with horses when you're on the ground and learning their manners and using your manners. Not, not you know, with the horse, I'm saying, to make them more comfortable. Um, I think, um, basically, it's what would be taught at any good stable that would teach anybody the safety rules about horses. Um, the, the, um, so, in other words, you stay close to them, you, make, you talk to them, you don't make startling noises, you don't startle them. At, at a path barn, some of those horses are even equipped to deal with that. They're, they will deal with it. Um, stay close to them if you're going around them. Ask if there's horses in the aisle. Make sure to use verbal communication yourself and ask for others to use verbal communication um, about where their horse is or what they're doing, especially if you're in a busy barn. Um, and I guess the other thing is leading. And so it might take working with somebody to get the horse to be mannered as a leading horse. And Cindy has me actually use my elbow on, on Zippy's shoulder so I can use a loose lead line, but then if she goes too fast, I can snatch her and she can slow down, and she will. Um, but they're very powerful animals, and you can't let them get away with much, and you better stop them and back them up and make them behave because they will get out of hand if they get the chance to, if, if something scared them or whatever. So they need to know that you're boss. There's no doubt about that. And that's sort of about the guide dogs, too, but it's a little little easier to do that with them, I think. Yeah. Anything, Susan? No, that's okay. perfect. Yeah, great. Can I ask a question? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm Nellie. Um, I uh, have a question about, is there a preference when you are uh, riding as a blind person uh, in terms of uh, the attentiveness of the horse, whether he's shod or unshod. Uh, again, I think that that's going to depend more on what the horse needs. Um, I've had Zippy barefoot, and I've had her shod on all four feet and on front feet, and some of that's really depended more on the ground we're riding on and also her um, conformation and what, the f what we're trying to do with her to make her more comfortable. So um, right now she's all barefoot, and that's uh, kind of interesting to see it. She's not going to go lame, and she's actually more sound than she was with the shoes on. Um, so I don't think as a blind rider it would, it would help you much. It might help you if you were hearing a horse more because shoes tend to make more noise, but um, that would be the only difference I could think of, really. If they would pay more attention, uh, if they're stepping on, uh, if they didn't have shoes. Megan? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. That's a really good question. Will they be more careful? I mean, your horse, is she more ouchy on the gravel when she doesn't have shoes on? I don't think so. No. I don't, I, I've never noticed any difference. Ouchy. But again, that's because they would be, they would show that they needed that more than the blind person sort of thing, yeah. 
I'm Zelda, and I live in North Dakota in a rural area, and I'm 120 miles from any formal stable with anybody, <laughs> you know. But I do have the advantage of I do live in the country, and we have two horses. But I have never had any formal training with them, and I've always had a very healthy, I would say, respect for them. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what would be a good way for me? Um, I have a sighted husband who has been around horses. He grew up on a horse. You know, he could stand on his horse. He could lay on his horse. You know, all the neighborhood kids still to this day, um, and he's 66 now, um, say, I remember your horse and all the things you did with your horse. You know, it, he was very comfortable and is very comfortable around them. I don't share that. But I, I do think it's something that it would be nice for the two of us to go together. But he is not knowing how to help me be comfortable around the horses. I don't any any books or any any advice. Well, I've I've got a thought on it. Um, I think probably, do you have a stable where you can get to know the horse well? Just on the ground. Okay. So. Okay. So so you you would have a place to groom them and get to know them, and I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then you're. Uh huh. Um. Does he? Would he feel comfortable enough to put you on a lunge line? It sounds like we need to find you a trainer to come for like a week and get you started and then and then you would be you know then you would be fine. It sounds like that's the kind of thing that that yeah. might be useful. Yeah. Yeah. Anything for you? No, that's okay. Anybody else any other questions? Do you do you want to read the Okay. Okay. Love us and would never let anything happen to us. And you know, I'm talking about dogs. What are what is the relationship? How are they the same and how are they different? I realize I'm always grading and exploring, and then I realize all the things you said. Mm -hmm. But I'm just talking about bonding with my animals. And like, are your horses glad to be here? Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and it's not just the treats. <laughs> Yes, I, I heard, um, I think it was an eventing coach or rider say this on, on one of the big um, eventing programs, that these horses are so big and so powerful, you cannot ever make a horse do anything. The horse does it because it wants to, it's been trained to, it's been given a chance to, and it wants to do it. And that's right, that's right. But 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 remembering that they are prey animals and they do become scared and there 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 are real instincts there like there are with dogs, but they are probably more powerful instincts in a way because they are prey animals, and so you have to take that into account and you have to be safe and sometimes that means being the alpha with them more than you think is nice, but you know you don't want them to to get away with doing something that they then will get a habit of doing like biting or. Um, running away or whatever, yeah. I'd like to thank all you ladies for joining us, especially uh, Suzanne, Suzanne and Susan. And uh, it, I'm sure this casual conversation could go on for as long as you'd like. Uh, our time is up and I've given the codes, but uh, if you'd like to stay and meet and greet, then please feel free to do so.